Welcome to a special In The Money Players podcast. Nick Tamaro here because you can never have enough Breeders' Cup recap, especially when you get to go over your uh, losing wagers, bad opinions, some good ones if there were any. And so I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to join me in a couple of seconds as probably the person that I go to most frequently to talk racing in general and uh, someone who, of course, we all have benefited from learning quite a bit from. But what we're about to learn is something that I consider to be maybe a little bit more important than racing. Andy Serling is joining me. Andy, there is an, a John Candy marathon tonight. Really? Number one, where does John Candy rate for you in terms of, of comedic genius? Oh, he's great. I mean, Stripes is like one of the all-time great movies. Yeah, tonight's menu included Uncle Buck and The Great Outdoors. Both. You know which uh, I've seen? I think I've seen some of Uncle Buck. There was an Alan Arkin marathon at TCM last night, which was a lot, including The In-Laws, which is one of the all-time great movies. Yeah, that's 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 a very strong, uh, very strong one as well. I, I, Uncle Buck, I find to be hilarious. I think The Great Outdoors is very funny too. But I, I like Dan Aykroyd a lot, so that's that's an easy, easy sell for me. Um, my wife, who of course is eight years younger than me, told me that she wasn't really sure who John Candy was, and uh, that was a that was a low low moment in our marriage. That a long time. I years ago yeah. I had dinner with Harold Ramis who talked extremely fondly of John Candy and told some stories about making stripes with him. I remember reading and hearing mainly whenever anybody in the entertainment industry talked about John Candy, they always did so very affectionately. And it wasn't just the, you know, he was being, he was being maybe lauded more excessively because he had passed. Um, But I also remember hearing some great stories about how much fun it was to go to his suite during Blue Jays games because there was a copious amount of both food and drink, which I think that John Candy, even though he suffered an early demise, probably didn't miss out on anything in his life. <laughs> Generally, my kind of guy. Um, anyway, let's talk about the Breeders' Cup. We've got, uh, we're going to quickly touch on some of the 14 races. We'll talk about some of them a little bit more in depth. I did want to let everybody know, are you comfortable with me letting everyone know that even though you were unavailable earlier tonight, you were not the underbidder on Goodnight Olive at $6 million? Yeah, that's a lot, huh? Six for her and Nest. How about three point two for Wonder Wheel? Well, well, first of all, um, I mean, Mike Rapoli re- bought Nest, but I think a lot of people expected that to happen. I don't really. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously hard to imagine that valuation being realistic. But maybe you can say about about a lot of those horses. And I, what I don't understand about Nest is he has to bring her back to race. Uh, why? I mean, she wasn't really very good anymore this year, so she's going to be better next year. It just seemed a little surprising. But, and I hear they plan right now to race Goodnight Olive. Okay. Um, I heard that. I, I'm not familiar with this new owner, John Stewart. Uh, obviously not a potential team. Who's her sire? She's an into mischief. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, they paid 3.6 for uh, search results. They paid 3 for Mora. What was the one you said? It was 3.2? 3.2 for Wonder Wheel and 3 for Secret Oath. Who is Wonder Wheels? I'm sorry. Goodnight Olive is a ghost zapper, not a uh, okay. not an intermission. Oh. She has an excellent damn side. No, people have a lot of money. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's a lot of money in circulation for sure. I would Not named Nick Dandy have a lot of money. Correct, yes. I would hope that, yeah, I was only about 5.95 million shy on Goodnight Olive. Um, and I might be giving myself a little bit of credit there. 
the I mean, I hope that if Goodnight Olive comes back, then then she's still with Chad. Well, we'll talk. Yeah, I think you said she'd be with Chad. I thought I read somewhere. Yeah, we'll talk about her shortly. We'll take this right from the top and start with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, which was race number five on Friday, won by Big Avs, a 109 time form U.S. figure, an 85 buyer figure for the five eighths in 55.31. Look, he was the favorite. I mean, it obviously was not a surprising performance, but I will admit I was a little surprised at just how well Big Avs ran. It's actually kind of amazing that Euros ran one, two, three in this race, considering their sprinters aren't really better than ours. But um, yeah, I mean, I think what was surprising was that he was able to rate. And it wasn't surprising he didn't break quite as sharply here as he was breaking overseas. But, you know, I know you can say, well, he's against older horses and he ran the Nunthorpe, but he didn't take kindly to rating there. And he was only five to one that day. So I thought that was that was impressive. I thought he ran very well. Um uh, you know, I'm no knock on him. I, I think it's ludicrous that this is a grade one. I think it's ludicrous that it's a Breeders' Cup race. Um, uh, listen, I like the two-year-old turf races, but to make them grade ones and have them be so-called championship races is is technically dishonest. You know, they're not championship races. They never were. They never will be, nor should they be, to be fair. Um, I think we've seen enough of the fact that these two-year-old turf horses more often than not sort of drift off into obscurity. Um, some have done okay, but, you know, I thought he ran well in the context of the race. Um, 86 for a two-year-old is a fast enough figure. He'll probably do fine over there. Um, it was not much of a showing by the U.S. horses in here. No-name Mets ran okay. Uh, Shards ran okay, but okay is the best they were. I didn't have any great thoughts about this race, did you? No, no, I, I was uh, I was a little surprised the Euros performed as well as they did. I mean, for, for yeah. having blanked in this race for a number of years and now to, to win it two years in a row um, was a little bit surprising. I mean, I think we all kind of, in a way, we all sort of felt that this race kind of went as Wesley Ward goes in a way. Yeah. And Wesley Ward hasn't had any good sprinting two-year-olds in two years. So yeah, the truth of this race is the U.S.-based horses weren't that good. I mean, not only mentioned a nice horse. Um, you know, we'll see with Crimson Advocate. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any real confidence in her. Obviously, she's pretty good, and she hadn't run in almost five months. So, you know, she could probably do better. But we'll see next year, and we'll see what other horses are around. But I don't know what this race really means. It's not as though there's some incredible three-year-old division of turf sprinters, you know? No, no. It's a it's a, a division that sort of, as you, you said, lives kind of in isolation um, because the other part of it is that the, the races in this division, and I'm, I'm doing the quotes in the air, uh, they don't really start until, I know there are some races at Saratoga, but they really don't start in earnest until the fall. And it, I don't, I, I mean, personally, I don't care for how this race has probably committed to, or contributed, I should say, to horses going to Ascot earlier in the year, which um, <laughs> still sort of curiosity. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. Tough, tough to go in those races and big fields and stuff. You know, I mean, listen, turf sprinting has become a big part of the program in American racing, so it's fine, but it's not really overall high-level racing. Even over there, how good are they? You know, their turf sprinters have never been considered better than ours. I think the only crazy thing is that we're spending this much time talking about it. I agree. Let's move on. In fact, let's go to the first dirt race of the Breeders' Cup weekend, which was the Juvenile Phillies, won by Just FYI, who came out of the Frisette and ran her record to three for three. I think there's two stories to me in this race, one of which is, of course, how well Just FYI ran, stalking a, 
a pretty strong pace. Um, she was obviously very leg weary late. I think she was entitled to be. And, and the second part of that story is the, the poor performance and subsequent minor injury announcement from Tamara, who vastly underperformed as a horse that many people felt like was arguably the, the most likely winner of the weekend, bet down to four to five. She was a rather listless seventh, uh, capitulating very easily coming off the turn. And I mean, if we want to give just FYI a ton of credit for how well she ran, which I think she deserves some, Jody's pride ran very well also. She was always within range of that pace and then came with a strong late bid. Good for a guy like Jorge Abreu, who's an excellent trainer that doesn't get enough credit to have a filly run so well in there. Um, yeah, but I think you also have to question the overall race, and I don't want to knock Jody's pride, but I, I, I still think that you and I will probably agree if she has a big future, it's going to be on the turf, given her pedigree. It's, listen, I give TT a lot of credit for running in here. I thought it was kind of crazy, and she ran very well. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her on the turf, given her dam. It's amazing. It's amazing that Tamara was 4-5, to five, given I don't know a single person that liked her. Yeah, literally everybody I know is against her. So it is sort of funny. Um, It is sort of. She's like the candidate that got elected, and nobody admitted to voting for them. Um, I I just—it's just nobody liked. Everybody said she wasn't training well, and all these things. She didn't run very well, and she has an injury. And you know, um, I'm just looking at this first six finishers, and they're all not only East Coast horses; they all ran Saratoga, right? Yes, they all. All ran in Saratoga. Um, they all prepped in either Kentucky or, their maiden, or New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Scale and, went out to California, and she's the maiden. That Just that is a very nice horse. I don't want to knock the horse in here, but it was a slow race. But I think with with tomorrow not showing up, with Brightwork clearly tailing off, and and with um, and and with um, ways and means on the shelf, this is where the division is, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, look, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say I think this is a particularly strong field. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go out. I'll take the bold stance that I think this field will end up being better than the 2022 version. Right, I agree with that. Thank very much. But um, you're yeah. going to live with that one, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> very, very hey, we're finally one out of it. So there's that. Yeah, right. Exactly. We finally have a winner. I mean, I do think Brightwork has the opportunity to be better. Maybe when she cuts back in distance, I, I thought he quietly ran a you know a decent enough race because even though the pace was strong, there really weren't any meaningful moves from off the pace whatsoever. She's a little bit of a goofy, you know, long type that probably needs to grow yeah. up a little. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Kennedy should have been second. Um, but listen, they are who they are. We'll see if they get better, and we'll see whether whether two year old, you know, whether two year olds there are as we get to next year. I don't think anybody's going to be shocked when the, when the big horses aren't the horses out of this race. I don't want to knock these horses, and just FYI has been been good, but these are not world beaters. They're running figures in the seventies. They're not, you know. There's nobody in here. I think. I'm curious to see what Brightwork can do when they cut her back next year because she tailed off the end and she's clearly better going shorter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This was the third time since 20, in, the third time in the last nine runnings of this race that the buyer figure was under 80. All three of those runnings all came in California. And the last one, in fact, was at Santa Anita in 2019 when British Idiom won. And she obviously didn't go on to do anything at all. The other filly who didn't reach 80 in terms of buyer speed figure was Champagne Room, who also didn't go on to do anything either. Um, you did have a couple of relatively decent winners in the, in the meantime in that mix as well. So we'll see if maybe 
somebody surprises out of it. Uh, but I did, I did think just FYI, as far as the context of the race goes, I mean, with it being time for us uh, has it as a, a strong pace for the first three calls and she ran well, she did what she was doing. But the pace held together, forget, forget about Tamara. So I'm sure the pace, the pace was honest. I'm not denying it, but you know, similar to the distaff, right? The pace was very strong there, but it held together. Um, they're, they're nice horses, but I don't want to, you know, I think Tamara is probably a nice horse. I do want to give her an excuse. She's a better horse than that. But is she as good as that big race she ran to back, right? That's really the question. Yeah, you do wonder a bit if she's ever going to get back to that. We'll see, hopefully, as a three-year-old filly. Maybe she'll be ready a couple of months into the year. As it's been announced, she's going to need about eight weeks off. Um, race number seven was the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf at a mile on the lawn and a driving finish here uh, that was won by Hard to Justify, who took advantage of uh, – and I mean, she got a phenomenal ride and uh, there were some horses in here that contended that didn't. And ultimately, I think that was what uh, sort of told the tale. Yeah. The, the understanding by Flavia and Pratt that when you have post 12, you've got to get position early, which is what he's so good at, but also be able to save some ground. And if you contrast that, and I understand that she may not have as much speed, but she wasn't that far behind. When you contrast that with the ride John Velasquez gave She's Feels Pretty, that was the difference. Um, I'm not knocking she, hard to justify. She, she's a deserving winner. She ran a square enough fig in the mid-80s, but I don't think that anybody that watched this race objectively is going to deny that She Feels Pretty ran the best race. And either one of them, I bet Bushu who probably needs to not be inside. She's shown that she's run well twice when she made outside moves and poorly when she was inside twice. Whether or not that's the reason, I don't know. But I think that Hard Justify's obviously been good and she's improved with every start. Um, and she could end up being pretty good, but I don't. I have a lot of trouble saying the horse you w- want out of this race is and she feels pretty. If somebody said you could have one horse out of this race, I'd take she, she feels pretty. I mean, we likely won't see her domestically for quite some time, if at all, next year. But she feels pretty. No, didn't I was going to say? Didn't Aiden O'Brien's content that finished fourth actually run very well? Also, you know, I didn't. I, I'd have to watch it again. You're probably right. If you think she did, she probably did. She was. I mean, she was. She was practically last at the quarter pole. Right. And I mean, she got a clean run home, but there just there was no movement from off the pace at all. And she Not was sort of yeah. home. So you know, she was an outsider. I used her a little bit. I thought she was a live price. Um, I bet Carla's way, who was a, a little bit inside of sorry, uh, yeah. pretty, but ultimately had nothing when they turned for home. And she just, was following Buchu, wasn't she? I feel like she was. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I know she was inside, right? Who? Buchu or Carla's way? Carla's way. Carl's way was outside. She was, she was outside. Uh, outside. black silks outside. She was she was about three wide. Where she feels pretty was four wide. The thing is, she feels she was sort of using she feels pretty as cover. Whereas I mean, she feels pretty never got a, a chance to save ground. She ran very very well. ran very very well, and and uh, and as a filly, I would imagine you would think that in a, in the care of somebody like Cherie, she's just got a, a world of upside. So I would imagine she's going to be she's going to be a pretty reason the winner has upside too. I mean, uh, I think the guy who trains her is pretty good too. So I'm not going to be surprised when she. Well, no it. doubt about it. And, and look, I mean, I, I will. I've long said that Chad Brown turf routers with speed are particularly dangerous because yep. I mean, his horses are always trained to finish. And um, and she is a filly who was. It's funny. She's been very game in all three of her starts. She's kind of even the the maiden win at Saratoga, the Miss Grillo. She's kind of gotten herself into a dogfight, and she just she likes to win, uh, and ran her record to three for three. Porta Fortuna, 
who uh, was is owned by Domestic Connections, but trained by Donica O'Brien, um, got a great ride from Machine Murphy and, and finished a good second at he's odds of seven two. Yeah, he's a he's an excellent. Every time I see him, he's giving a good ride. We don't see you know the three the three Euro jockeys that three international jockeys I should say that won races, and I don't call Dottori one because he's riding domestically as much as anybody now. But Ryan Moore, Oshin Murphy, and William Buick—they're all so good. Great riders, I agree. They, they I, really I, are. They're so good. Really, really enjoy to see them, and uh, we'll talk, of course, about some of the some of the good rides they put on horses as the weekend progressed. The biggest question from Friday, without question, when the day was said and done, was where the hell did that fierceness performance come from? Well, I mean, he ran well in his first start. It was hard to understand, you know, I mean, to justify it as he was this kind of horse because it was a wet track. It was kind of speed and he ran so poorly. And I know he'd have a good break last time, but he didn't respond at all to it. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think Fierce's performance was the single best performance of the weekend when you consider he's a two-year-old and he ran a figure that's almost as high as any figure who's run all weekend are that elite power. Uh, I mean, I thought he was remarkably good. And, you know, I don't, we'll see how good he is going forward. But I mean, you look at this performance and you think about the connections and Uncle Mo, it's hard not to say that he's, um, he's in the conversation to be very, very, very good. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's there's. I don't see how you could have any doubt in that at all. Um, I, I will. I did not look it up. We were kind of talking about it Friday night at dinner, and I, I said, you know, this has got to be the fastest buyer figure for a winner since. I mean, in my, in my memory, I know Street Sense got a one hundred eight. I don't think Uncle Mo got more than that. But this, a he might have got a one ten. He might have. I could be wrong, but for some reason I felt like he might have, but maybe I'm wrong. No, he he ran very fast. I know that. I know Street Sense got a 108, obviously helped by a, yeah, an find. I mean, just find an Uncle Mo that's running uh, an aqueduct this week. So let me just look through these. What Keep talking and I'll find one. Was actually, you know, yeah, I was going to look it up as we both talked because I found the date of the juvenile and I can find it that way. But, um, you know, t- to say, I guess from a handicapping perspective – you know, generally, guys like you and I are going to poo-poo the notion that, well, if he's here, he probably deserves to be here. But I guess it was a little bit of that, that if the connections were willing to go on with him, then it was a good sign. The problem, of course, that I, I thought another problem that existed was they, they ended up declaring noted for the race late or committing noted to the race late. And he was the one who Uncle Mo got a Uncle Mo got a 108. So, yeah. yeah good, just about good, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, I, read, I read ended up unnoted. That was, that's if he ran badly in here, we would have said that Mike Rapoli made Tom Pletcher run and he's an idiot. So, you know, I mean, there were a couple of moves by Mike. <laughs> you know, we could, could have called him an idiot afterwards. And ultimately, I mean, I will discuss about the mark a little more, but he wasn't wrong in, in doing making these decisions. And clearly he wasn't wrong with this horse. He wanted to go forward. And whether it was him or Todd, they were right to go forward. And I'm sure Mike had something to do with it. Um, so, you know, give him credit where it's due. Because we would have been sitting here saying he was foolish for running him had he not, I think he would agree, had he not uh, not run well in here. I know I would have. Absolutely. No, we would have we would have definitely done so. And, you know, it was, a, it was I guess, a, a positive statement on his training and his preparation for this race that they were willing to to run him. And Todd, of course, already had another horse in the race that was, was very well fancied. And I wanted to ask you about Locked. I thought he ran fine. It wasn't a super fast pace. He made a big run. Um, I think he ran fine. I mean, but but it, listen, if, if Fierceness didn't run his race, I guess he ran a little bit worse than we would have thought. But given the trip, he probably still ran his race. 
my biggest thought is where the hell is Timberlake's speed? Like, what's going on here? Like, why was he so far back? Yeah, he was not quick out of the gate and was really just sort of listless around there. Yeah. I mean, and he didn't ever really run. And, and you know, we'll talk, obviously, about the rest of the races. But up until Idiomatic's performance in the distaff, it was kind of a similar refrain on some of the Brad Cox runners over the weekend. They didn't have a lot of the, the speed that we'd grown accustomed to seeing them offer. And it was a surprisingly bad so, performance. So nobody was accusing Brad of cheating this weekend, I guess. Uh, apparently that all uh, stopped for a weekend at least. So I guess that always said to me, nobody seems to remember when my horses run badly, but yeah, no, never never. the way it goes. Always, always how well they run. Uh, I did think locked ran well there. There really wasn't uh, the pace was slow Two two points of call coded blue on time form us lock did make a big late run. Um, I'll, I really hope that this horse stays, together because I think he could end up being a very nice three-year-old prospect. And I mean, this was sensational, his performance. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both, yeah, both of them, in fact. And we worry a little about distance. The dam, the, the dam was a sprinter, right? And she ran for Mike, I think, but she's she thirsty. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a funny pedigree. There haven't been a lot of city of light dirt horses and stay thirsty. is not a notable sire, but uh, no, he's not. But yeah, Nona Bella was better going shorter for sure. Um, he was good. I mean, listen, he was, to me, he was the, the relative performance of the weekend in the sense that to run that race as a two-year-old, I mean, he left some pretty nice horses completely in his dust. I think yeah, he was good. I think, good. I think Tim yeah. Lake is good. Prince of Monaco probably doesn't want to go that far. General Parker doesn't want to go that far. But they're both pretty damn good. And he just destroyed these horses. Yeah, I mean, when he took General Partner out at the quarter pole, you thought to yourself, He's going to win this race by a lot, and I mean he did so. So it was a yeah, it was a very, very much a compelling performance by Fiercest, and it's always nice to see good two-year-olds as we look forward to the Derby yeah. Trail. And uh, Fiercest obviously going to be one of the uh, the well, he's the winter. You want race. these races to be won by horses that run well to win them. I mean, that's why I mean you have to be honest about them. In the, the juvenile fillies, they were disappointing once again. And I think like we've seen in previous years, we won't be surprised when these horses are supplanted the top end by new horses. There was that $2.3 million horse. Was that a filly that won over the weekend for, for Chad? I think uh, Saturday. You know the one I'm talking about? Saturday's, um, I think Saturday's seventh race. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. At Aqueduct, that horse might be pretty good, right? I mean, that horse in its debut, hang on, I'm winning a mile, Sierra Leone? Sierra Leone, yeah. She's a sales topper at Saratoga. She got a 71 buyer going a mile first time out, and, you know, it wasn't a particularly strong pace, so she could be, you know, why can't she be good enough to be running with these? She certainly cost enough. I just, you know, I think you just, but the Colts, they were good, and they demonstrated the difference between how good they were and where the Phillies are right now. Yeah, and I mean, what we'll find out, obviously, in the coming months is whether some of these horses were just way ahead of the curve or if they're – you're not just ahead of the curve when you can run 100-plus by your speed figures. No, that's a serious racehorse. It does, no, it's always been behind him. You know, we'll see. It's a long way to go, and hopefully they all stay sound. But there's no denying he's a very, very, very good horse. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he, he looks – he can produce that again. He's a monster. And I mean, again, locked, I think, is a horse that'll really one worth looking forward to as well. Um, and even Muth, who will get better as time goes by, yeah. and clearly that he's the best of the uh, of the, the West Coast contingent. Is he the best West Coast performance the entire weekend? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, in part because most of them stunk. But yeah, he he really is. It was, yeah, it was not a not a big week, weekend for. Last was not best this weekend. Not this time around for sure. Uh, the final Breeders' Cup race on Friday was the Juvenile Turf at a mile, which went as race number nine. This was a race that was uh, pretty drastically altered by scratches when uh, Morning Line favorite River Tiber came out, and that actually led to Aiden O'Brien moving Ryan Moore to Unquestionable, who went off three to two, got a great trip, got a great ride, and got the money. Yeah, he got a perfect trip, and he won, and it was a solid race for what these races are, how good he really is. We'll see. I mean, he was second in the, what, the Brusac or whatever, the race on Arc Day, so he's obviously okay. I mean, over time, Aiden O'Brien has not sent his best two-year-olds over here, um, and obviously he's not as, you know, he's not nearly as high a regard as that Justify he has that they think is a killer, the one that City won on... Troy. What's it? Yeah, City of Troy. I mean, I was the American Mountain Bear. I was lucky to get second. My boy Prince ran very, very well. I'm not exactly sure what Luis Saez was doing on air recruit, setting that crazy pace. And, you know, my whether my boy Prince would have won the race if he hadn't been in there, well, it's open to debate. He certainly would have been second. Um, but he's a nice horse, my boy Prince. I don't want to I don't want to knock him. I didn't watch carefully enough to know if I should have some opinion on anybody else. But, you know, when I, a long shot like Talk Talk, who I, I, I used runs a close sixth, I'm not sure how good any of them were behind the, you know, I'm not, it's a nice bunch, but I don't, I don't think there are any killers there, were there? No, not at all. I mean, the top four were a mixture of two horses who were forward and two horses who came from the back. And the, you know, the second place photo was basically a blanket over, Four horses. So, I mean, it was a it was a close finish for the Miners. The winner was clearly best. Um, I mean, I think the horses in there that, that maybe underperformed relative to expectation, I guess the one you would probably say is Carson's run. But, I mean, I don't think any of us are, are rushing well, to... Lousy run. post. Yeah. I mean, he still could be okay. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure how good he is. I don't know. It's in the hands of a trainer who probably will take him along slowly. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know. These races among the, of the U.S. contingent have really never been productive this race. So I I would like to think that the the three-year-old Colts that are going to be getting the money in some of the big races next year are are still out there. No, these are races for the Breeders' Cup to make money on handle. I mean, pretty much it is, but they're not, they're not championship races. And if they want to build themselves as such, you know, these races, three, the three turf races here, the dirt mile, you know, the turf sprint. I mean, listen, I like handicapping just like everybody else, but these are not, worthy of being what breeders the breeders cup should be representing to be honest i think that's more than fair um well that just about does it for friday's action anybody you wanted to highlight otherwise on friday i think we pretty much no no i mean i just i think it was sort of like the the worst of the day if not the weekend was was fierceness no doubt about it the impressive maiden winner from travers eve who of course faltered in the champagne but came right back to win it and that was another race that was uh Largely dominated by horses who uh, uh, raced east of the Mississippi, and no surprise there. Case all weekend. It was the case pretty much all weekend. That is a fact. Well, let's turn our attention to Saturday. The Breeders' Cup action began in race number three with Cody's Wish, a four to five favorite, in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Andy, he was victorious, not without a, I guess, a little bit of of anxiety associated with the inquiry. I didn't really think there was any seriousness no. to to that inquiry at all. I guess, you know, there's a couple of things to highlight in here. Number one was, in the context of that race, I know he was supposed to beat those horses. He He ran ran well, in my opinion. He ran very well in the context of the race. It was was an honest pace. But he made a real move in the third quarter that was 23-3. and 
And I think he's done the same thing. Listen, he, he's, he's caused himself problems by getting left. I don't think he's as good as he was last year. I also think he's going to be a better horse in one-turn races that frequently feature slow, fast paces. He didn't get that in his last start. Don't forget, you know, in, in the in the um, the forty no, not the forty nine, whatever the heck he ran. Vosberg. It wasn't a fast pace, so in reality, it was almost like a two turn race. It's always going to be pace dependent for him, and even though his pace was. It was honest. It wasn't fast like last year, but these horses weren't nearly as good as the horse he beat last year. Cybernet's a very good horse. I think he's kind of forgotten because they retired him too soon, you know? And I think in the context of this race, he ran extremely well. Um, I don't think anyone's going to ever consider National Treasure and Skippy Longstocking to be particularly special horses, but they're okay. And he won against the grade of the race. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And he's a cool horse and a good story and all those things. So he went out in kind of a, a cool way. But, uh, you know, his better races were not the ones towards the end of his career. But that doesn't take away how good a horse he was. And I think it was a nice, good, you know, feel-good story in the race. And obviously, you know, the unfortunate incidents afterwards. But it doesn't take away. It all adds to the whole Cody's Wish story. And it was a good story. A good story for racing. Yeah, of course, our condolences to the Dorman family. There's a lot of content out there that you can consume. We're going to stick to, to the race. We are all listening to the podcast, so it's important yeah. we get that out there. Yeah, not something that you and I are going to opine on here. Um, it, the... I think the problem that exists with with any type of objective analysis with Cody's wish is that a lot of people don't quite grasp that when you run the way he did in last year's Dirt Mile, and I would even say this year's Churchill Downs, but I would say with without any reservation, this year's Met Mile, it's hard for horses to run that well every time. I think that Cody's wish career arc, you know, he started tail off a bit. I think... I think you could also trace the tailing off along with not breaking anymore. You know, he stopped breaking well. It started badly in the in, in the in the Whitney, and it just sort of kept on. He's had gate issues throughout his career. Don't forget that second start in the mile and eighth. And he's always going to be a horse that's a bit pace dependent. And a lot of those one turn races, he got fast pace to close at. Doesn't take away from his talent. It's a very very good horse. And given all the things, now I, I don't believe he's deserving horse of the year, but in this year I can't argue with it being close enough. And he's probably going to be horse of the year because of the story overall. And in this year's races, I'm not going to argue with that. You know, and he's a, he's a very cool. He's a hard horse not to like. Yeah, he uh, he run he won enough meaningful races to me to to er, to earn it. And we'll we'll year. Yeah, after the classic. Um, couple of other things in here we mentioned the dull performance by timberlake i know he was a four to one shot but zozos didn't have any speed in here either he was awful he was badly out right out of the gate and they asked him and he was brutal now i don't he was a begrudging pick by me because i didn't want to pick cody's wish and i knew not to like him <laughs> i had no idea what the hell to pick besides him he's just zozos is okay but he's a bit of a phony yeah he's, he's okay phony horse you know Right. He's a paper tiger. I think the other thing that we know now very clearly is that there are two versions of National Treasure, one of which exists when he's on the lead, 
where he has the potential, yeah. in my opinion, to be a grade one caliber horse. And he is nothing more than a common listed stake horse when he's not on the lead. I, next time I see Bob Baffert, I'm going to tell him I picked him in the Travers because I, I, I was confident that Bob Baffert would send a speed horse to lead. And for some odd reason, he decided to raid him. And whether he went or won or lost, I agree with you. If, you know, I, I think Bob Baffert must be asking himself, what the hell is I thinking raiding him in those races? Because one thing about Bob, he's not afraid to send horses to the front. I mean, my God, Arrogate was forward. West Coast Wire, the Travers, one of those Travers races. These are not even speed horses, but he understands the value of speed. And for him to have raided a, a horse with speed in the Travers was one of the craziest things I've ever seen him do. I guess he figured he was East and he'd, he'd play like the East Coasters and raid everything. Yeah, and you know what? It didn't work that day, but uh, certainly uh, it gave him a better chance with the race that he ran on Saturday. I think we add Flavian rode him. Correct. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he understands the value of speed too. No, and, and look, I mean, he had the nine posts. So the, the choice, if yeah. you didn't do what they did early, was willingly take on a potential three to four wide trip. And and why, you know, why bother with that? And, and you know, this notion that horses need to be rated to more effectively get distance and stuff like that is the, the biggest misnomer around. I mean, when you have a fast horse, you want them on the lead, period. Many years ago, many years ago, Todd Pletcher said to me that Wayne Lucas made a lot of money sending speed horses to lead. Yeah, yeah. Bob Baffert certainly in that camp as well. Right. The game is a lot. The game is is difficult, but it gets more difficult when people overcomplicate it. Gets a lot harder when you rate speed horses, no doubt about it. Um, so that was the swan song, of course, for Cody's Wish. He'll go to stud next year. Seventy five thousand uh, stud fee for Cody's Wish. The brilliant. I'm, I'm not paying it, but you know, I don't have any broodmares or seventy five thousand. So, so yeah. I'm I'm o for two on that. Um, yeah, quite quite comfortably. Race four was the Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf. It was a race that we anticipated, many of us anticipated, would be dominated by the uh, Euro imports, the two main principals in that category, who were in Spiral and Warm Heart, and they failed to disappoint with In Spiral really unleashing a strong stretch bid to get up just in time over Warm Heart, who had enjoyed a, a nice trip stalking the pace. For what it's worth, this pace back very fast on time form US. Yeah, so, no, no, that was a race. And Italia actually ran a lot better than I think people realize in finishing fifth in there. I mean, she was only beaten, what, about under three lengths, and she was setting that pace. I agree. I actually think she ran fine. Um, too far for her and, you know, maybe a touch not quite as good as she was. Um, hard decision. She probably wouldn't have won the mile, as it turned out anyway, because they were moving up front. Uh, listen, Inspiral's a tremendous horse, and I'm glad I bet against her. But for me, I'm happy to see the best horses win. I questioned her, not her abilities, but I questioned her at the distance. They were right. She ran great. Warm heart got eight. I mean, she couldn't have gotten a better trip and ride by Ryan Moore. And there's no shame in losing to a horse like Inspiral. They're both really nice horses. And I mean, I think this Breeders' Cup was disappointing in a lot of ways. But at least in this race, two genuine world-class talents ran one-two. Yeah, very, very well said. I agree. And, you know, the irony of the distance changes that were being made respectively by the eventual one, two finishers is that I think we all sort of assumed in all likelihood, warm heart cutting back would likely run down in spiral if she was winning. Right. And it ended up 
being the total other way around as, as in Spiral, did knock it out of the gate and ended up, I think, probably a little bit farther back than the connections would have designed. She doesn't but, have speed, though, to be honest. She doesn't have a ton of speed, no. But, I mean, given I think tactically, given the way she had run at a mile, you probably expected her to be a little bit more forward. But one of the reasons why Frankie Dettori is an all-time great jockey is that, to me, he did exactly what you do with a horse that is going a distance farther than you anticipated when you break slowly and he got her inside, got her covered up as long as he could. And, you know, for about a, a period of, of two to three furlongs, of course, I was sitting with two people who had made very large wagers on, on Inspiral and I, I didn't want to say anything to them, but, you know, he really waited as long as he possibly could to get her outside and you knew the risk he was running. I know he knew the risk he was running as well, but it ended up working out perfectly because she got off cover, got off heels just in time to unleash that final bit in the last, you know, roughly three sixteenths of a mile. And it was just, he got her going just in time to get up. And I'm still bitter about betting her to Ascot to start the year out when she lost to some ridiculous horse at like three to one when the favorite got nothing. I think Modern Games was a favorite in there. I'm sure you got up early that day to, to bet her. In fact, that's uh, Queen Anne, right? It was Queen Anne. Yeah. 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 Um, other horses in here who ran relatively well. I mean, you mentioned an Italian, of course, who, yeah, I think actually ran one of her better races in here. And I think, I think the story of an Italian this year versus last year is I think for the most part, she spent this year not necessarily enjoying some of the same not a pace advantage, but I think she ran against better horses throughout this year. And I think she wasn't able to utilize her speed quite as effectively, but I really think her 2023 campaign will be misunderstood when people look back on it because I, I agree than then people think a lot of times. She had a terrific year. She just didn't win. You know, she, right. I mean, she won two big races early, but you know, listen, she took a tough beat in the Diana. Maybe the, the track condition, maybe the fact that Irad doesn't rise aggressively on speeds. She listen, Cheetah Romantica A showed the mile how good she is, and she ran a remarkable race to beat her that day. I think in Italian ran a winning race, she just lost. And I think what a lot of people struggle with is when it's it's the opposite of overrating wins. They underrate losses. And I don't think Italia was really perceptibly worse this year than last year, as it turns out. She just lost some races, but she's very good. Yeah, I, I think it's important to recognize when, when a horse loses that it's there's a pretty decent chance they were actually best. Because hey, and, and Wendy was finally the price that you had made her in the morning line when she ran her first race in this country in Kentucky Downs. Not sure I didn't make her longer than that. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's, 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 scratches that day, to be fair. And when I texted you and said, you're going to regret this line, you said, oh, my God, I butchered that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a well-placed morning line bash, which is well-deserved as well. Yeah. No argument from me. Not an um, easy job. Look, she's a common 12-to-1 shot. It's pretty <laughs> All right, next. It only took Inspiral to get her to 12 to 1. Right. Next up is race five, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. And this was the first of a couple of repeat winners that we had on Saturday afternoon. I got to tell you, Goodnight Olive was good on a number of occasions in her career. She was really good in this race. Yeah, she didn't get a very really good fig, but I think she just destroyed the field. To be honest with you, she was an overlay at 420. I, I agree. Yes. thought she could lose this race. I really don't. And, and, and Irad won it right away by being aggressive out of the gate and, you know, doing the Migliori, getting your position going forward. He did it to a T. And when Ida and Society, when she went enough and then they, they quickened away from her, he was able to get her out the outside. And once she got the outside, she felt like she could have made 220. How was she going to lose to these horses? She's just yeah. so much better than them. 
Right, right. No, and, and I guess with her breaking from the inside, it's a decent time. And I know you probably would, would want to watch more head-ons and take take it a little bit more into consideration. It didn't feel like being on the rail was any kind of edge on Saturday. It felt like it might no, have been. No, I agree. Yeah, so. I think we're getting one sheet. But you just did. The only way she was going to lose if she got in trouble, like she did at Churchill. And Matarey has fallen apart. You know, she's not really good anymore. My one-two looked really good coming the stretch and clearly unhinged, um, became unhinged. I mean, Yugiri's a nice horse. I, I kind of like Yugiri. I think she's a cool horse, and I liked her getting second. And society showed, listen, she's terrific at, at Charlestown and Parks and, and, and Ellis, but this is not a filly that has run big races at the major tracks. Is that fair? Oh, it's 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 probably short of fair. It's it's generous, if anything. Um, I would I would call her a bit of a paper tiger as well. She also is not nearly as effective, not being able to dictate terms to everybody. But I mean, it didn't matter. She poked her head in front around the turn, and Goodnight Olive ran by her like she was tied to the court. This was a funny one for Irad to get three days. Man, he's had a lot more shenanigans than here. I thought. But so he got three days for dropping over on her, turning for home. Yeah, where where Tyler Gaffleone completely exaggerated any type of interference and then gave Irad a high five on the gallop out. <laughs> you think Irad gave him a high five after he got the three days? <laughs> no, I, I bet not. But hey, it gives Irad a little, a little post of Breeders' Cup uh, opportunity for a vacation, I guess. You mentioned Ugiri was second. I also had an exact over clearly unhinged, which I thought was going to hit when they came. Uh, uh, yeah, I was... Whew. I was I was yeah. like a peacock when they were turning her home. Proud of myself. Yeah, it looked like she opposite her. direction. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess you know there was a lot made of of, and this is not a, a topic worth really going on and on about. But there was a lot made of Goodnight Olive's performance at Saratoga behind Echo Zulu and it being one of her better efforts. Though this speed figure was low, it was a ninety-eight. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear that when all was said and done, the the second half of 2023 version of Goodnight Olive was every bit as good as the second half of 2022 version, right? Oh, I, I agree. And I, you know, I'm in the camp of immediately said, it's like that Jonathan said in our show. And had I been on the air, I would have said the same thing that, you know, it showed how good Echo Zulu was that, that Goodnight Olive clearly ran her best race and Echo Zulu just absolutely dusted her. And, you know, I, I also think Chad Brown should get a lot of credit on this one in particular because she was good as a three-year-old, but she had a lot of issues. And if people remember her, she would drift out badly in the stretch. And I remember when she won her last star as a three-year-old and Chad had her, I actually ran into him um, after the race. I think I was on the air early and I saw him later and we were, we were at Aqueduct and I said, she's obviously very talented. And he said, yeah, she's got a lot of issues though. You know, you, and you could see it, how she drifts. And we talked about it. And when she came back as a four-year-old, she wasn't drifting at all anymore. And she's, you know, she's, she's done really, really well. And I don't think that anybody could have predicted the end of a three-year-old season, much less a two-time Breeders' Cup winner, but how good she would end up becoming. And she's just been a tremendous horse who's always showing up and running well. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, it's another another example of a horse that, though she had some moments during the season where she maybe didn't look like herself, when Chad Brown keeps his marquee horses healthy, they generally get better as the year goes on. He, he told me before the ballerina, he said she's back to being in the top for a game. And he was right. No doubt about it. That was race five, the Philly and Mare Sprint. Race six was a Breeders' Cup mile where we had a field of 13 going postward, and it was eventually won by Master of the Seas, who made his third a start in North America. This was his second victory, and he actually nailed his uh, 
I, I should say, fellow Godolphin color bearer, Maj, right on the wire, not stable mate. They have different trainers. This was a race where I feel like I've watched it a couple of times. I think I've probably kind of had a few different opinions about things as time has gone by. But one thing that was certain was uh, Master of the Seas unleashed a heck of a late kick. He did. And, and I feel like this is a race where I was both incredibly wrong and incredibly right. Where I didn't like Master of the Seas at all. I didn't like Marge at all. And they ran one too. And I could never have had them. Um, but I, I, you know, my big box was Casacrine and Gina Romantica, who ran well to be second, be third and fourth. And I used Roy Looks was my other horse, who also ran well and, you know, coming from dead last. This was an honest pace, but I mean, horses stuck around well enough. I think, you know, Casacrine uh, ran a very admirable race. But listen, I didn't like Marge. Got a perfect trip or not. The horse ran very, very well. And Master of the Seas ran very well. I didn't like these horses, and I got to give them credit. Um, maybe it's a, it's a, function of this not being the strongest mile we've ever seen but they did what they had to do and i didn't think they'd do it before the race and they did yeah i think that's fair i thought maj ran significantly better than i would have anticipated i could have never imagined she'd be in the exact uh um, not coming back somewhat quickly off a race against three-year-old fillies and she did survive the pace quite well you know there's i think my take immediately after the race was wow maj ran very well and i actually as i watched it more i realized that I, she probably didn't run quite as well as i thought she still ran very very well she ran so, very well in the context ran, of the race i think they all ran well i really do yeah um, I, you know, I, I ran pretty well because she was close to the pace and wide without cover for the whole race so given the kind of horse that she is um, she actually ran pretty well. She was overrated, I think, to be the fa- co-favorite in this race. Um, and I think one of the things that people failed to take into consideration was sort of a Cody's Wish type thing, where she was running in one-turn races over in Japan that had much faster paces. Now, she ended up getting a fast pace here, but they ended up putting her too close to the pace. You kind of wonder if Songline had dropped back farther. Had she gotten kind of the drop-back trip the winner got, would she have been more effective down the stretch? Because she runs much more like Master of the Seas runs here, and he normally is a little bit closer, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Master of the Seas was quite a bit farther off the pace, I think, than anybody would have anticipated. You know, Songline was heads up with Gina Romantica most of the way around there, angled out wider, whereas Gina Romantica saved a little bit right. more. But she also had... Song was wide the whole way. Songline was wide the whole way, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would, I would advise... I do think from a wagering perspective... The betting public had a lot of fear of the Japanese horses, and they ended up getting overbet for the most part. Um, I, I think that could actually lead to them seeming like they might overperform next year if they were to win a race, because I know they'll antis- they'll participate at a high level at Del Mar as well. I do think they need to consider utilizing some domestic jockeys, because I do think these tracks are a little bit tougher to ride than a lot of the Japanese tracks, which are have much, much... Uh, 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 what should I say, more sweeping turns and are, and are generally a lot bigger and you get a seven for a of course, it can be a little tough. Songline was really running late. You know, he never even took the stick out. It was kind of tough to get her really going in such a short period of time. Not a grinder. She's a deeper closer and she ended up running like a grinder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it wasn't saving ground at any point. I know well, she in a little bit in the second turn, but still, uh, I also think Merlin looks as a really good horse. I don't know if Sheree will be able to get her back in a month through under the Holly, him in the Hollywood Derby, but he's a very good horse. And this is act, one of the nice things is there's a lot of good three-year-old turf males around, and God knows 
that division needs a lot of help. And I think there's promise that next year we're going to have some good horses in these, these older turf horse turf races, even without, you know, without up to the mark, who I'm really, I think it's unfortunate retirement, but I think the competition is going to step way up next year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of nice three-year-old turf horses out there. We saw them perform well um, as the, uh, as the summer kind of went into the fall and, you know, you'd like to think that more than looks and horses like Carl Spackler, um, when he eventually comes back, yeah, he's, he's obviously not, hurt, right? I mean, I never asked Chad, but I, yeah, I he, has, maybe he told me something. He has um, a program of trainings going out to the Hollywood Derby. I think, um, I'm not sure. I imagine website or trading is going to the Hollywood Derby. Yeah. Who is, who is? program trading? Yeah, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, and um, of course you had Web Slinger, who was ran second in the Twilight Derby on Saturday, but it was a very oh, solid. Third, he finished third. I thought he was second too. Did he run third? Yep, he didn't get. Well, that makes sense because somebody, one of my one of my horse playing friends, sent me a text bitching about having him in the exacta, but whatever. So, um, yeah, the, it was a you know it, it ended up the mile ended up kind of being a a good an interesting running of a relatively weak race, but. The top five choices ran one, two, you know, and they ran pretty close to how they were bet with other than Songline, right? I mean, the betting was was brilliant here, right? Co-favorite wins. The the third choice was was second. The fourth choice was third. And the fifth choice was fourth. And, you know, that was the case. And one of the, it was one of the problems I had personally going in. I didn't have particularly strong opinions because my idea is to try to come up with sort of under-the-radar Euros, two group tours, or three types that are trained by sharp guys. He didn't have any of them, and I didn't have any clever ideas. I mean, I don't think the worst that I bet underperformed their odds particularly. They didn't overperform them that much, and they just weren't quite good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I would think looking at the race that the super high five for a dollar would have probably paid a little bit more than 11.08 going in, but it didn't. It paid 11.08, so it was yeah. a relatively formful running of it. Race seven was the Breeders' Cup Distaff, where we had some very talented three-year-olds meeting up with the best uh, older uh, Distaff horses in training, at least, in Clarier and, uh, and Idiomatic. And Idiomatic won over Randomized in a, a driving finish where they went a pretty strong pace early. They absolutely crawled home. They were tired, but they were entitled to. Well, I mean, the closers couldn't couldn't get it done, you know. So, you know, credit to the top two. I don't think any of us thought this would be a two-speed number. I also think if you took 9-2 to two on a dairy manor, you should spend a lot of time this winter rethinking your handicapping because that was ridiculous. Um, uh, listen, I thought Idiomatic was very vulnerable. She had had good trips in her races. She got it done. Uh, I give her a lot of credit. She's a very deserving champion division, and I'm happy to see a to see a deserving champion. I wish it had been Clarier based on her early performance, but she didn't keep it up, and she didn't finish. And neither did search results. We thought I thought search results. I think a lot of us thought she was going to roll on by, and she didn't finish either. I mean, she didn't get that beaten that badly, but ultimately she didn't get it done. And randomized was incredibly game, and I think you know you go into next year with a horse like randomized that Philly. Um, Jijara, um, Jigara, whatever, I think that's how they pronounce it. She's yeah, a very promising horse. There could be some nice races next year, but randomized, I mean, she was extremely game. And, you know, this was a very honest pace. She had a good horse. I mean, Idomatic was sitting outside of her like she was going to eat her up the whole way, and she begrudgingly, you know, gave away to her. I thought randomized were extremely well in defeat. Yeah, I mean, we all anticipated, generally all anticipated a pretty strong pace. Um, I think part of it was that Adair Manor really couldn't keep up. Um, I'm not really sure 
that from the rail with blinkers on, the plan with Hoosier Philly to rate was very I don't know why they were. I think the pace was too fast for him. You know, I love Tom. He's got to he's got to start putting in races she can win because that was ridiculous. Well, right, and he also he and the connections need to come to grips with the fact that she's just not very good. Right, that that she was overrated by them as a two year old. Something we all try to tell him. Um, and, and I thought she actually ran pretty well in the cotillion went fourth. But to go from that to this race, she should have been the mother goose. I don't think she would have beaten Chigara. She wouldn't. But that's the race she belonged in. Right, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Not uh, ends up capping a nine-race campaign where she was victorious eight times. This was her third straight grade one. It was clearly the least compelling of any of her grade one wins, but you know, when you don't really have your fastball and you're still effective, there's something to be said for that. And I think this was a race where I think a time from U.S. figure is more accurate for the first for the for everybody everybody than a, a necessarily specifically a final time based figure because La La, La Vida, who's a meat horse, Clarier, search results, Desert Dawn, these horses all got pace to close into, so they had their chance to run their best fig. Whereas idiomatic and randomized set quick paces, so they're clearly going to get faster figs than you would see based on just you know a final time fig because they were setting a quick pace. Yeah, yeah. most of the time those horses get swallowed up, and that's right. the discredit of the horses behind them, frankly. Right. Yep, totally agree. 123 time form U.S. figure for idiomatic, just a 96 buyer, which right. uh, is a drop off from where she had been. But again, I mean, you're you're illustrating the differences between a pace adjusted figure and a final time figure. And this was a race where the final time clearly correlated to uh, the taxing first half of that race or so. Um, yeah, randomized. It's funny. I'm, I'm actually watching the replay. Mm-hmm. Talk and idiomatic and randomized are running next to each other, and randomized literally is about half of her size. And um, she's a tiny little thing. I mean, that was the whole reason, you know, Chad Brown was hesitant about running her in the Alabama. And even Maggie said to me, she said, I gotta say, I I, I would agree with him. You know, after the race we were talking about, she said, I can understand Chad's thinking. She is a tiny little thing. Chad said to me, I kept looking at her stall and thinking, how's she getting 10 furlongs? She's a really cool horse. No, she did. She's a cool horse. Hopefully she uh, is on to bigger and better things next year, which I think she will be. A lot of opportunities for older female horses in this country to make money and to get additional grade one uh, black type, of which, of course, she already has some being the Alabama winner. You know, I don't want to talk extensively about year-end honors because they're sort of ridiculous. She's not going to win the three-year-old Philly Eclipse. For my money, she's the best three-year-old filly in the country. Though. She is at the end of the year. But, you know, to be fair, winning the Ducky Oaks and the Acorn means a lot. And I think it'll be closer, though these battles are never that close. Um, had she won, she would have been a deserving three-year-old champ. She finished second, so she won't get it in all likelihood. But I don't disagree. I think if somebody said, which one do you want going into next year, you probably want her over Pretty Mischievous. But Pretty Mischievous is good. I think she tailed off a lot at the end of the year. And I'm not going to be surprised when Brenner gets her back to running big races next year. Yeah, I think they might might generally be around one turn at a mile yeah. or less. Although I didn't didn't really think she ran particularly well in the test, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do meet up. I, you know, I think Randomized possesses that ultimate weapon in dirt route racing, which is speed. Speed, so, yeah. Speed is always always dangerous. That was the distaff. Let's go to the Breeders' Cup turf, where we had a couple of runners from overseas that dominated the wagering market. I guess really three European based runners that dominated the wagering market with King of Steel being the, well, he's a fourth choice, but. No, um, King of Steel and Moose to Death and to lesser extent Nesto in the winter. The reality is the Euro's disappointed here. They did not run to the billing. August Rodin ran well, but but he didn't even run the best race. 
and he was supposed to be the horse to beat going in. Now, listen, he ran very well, and people were right. I have no idea who was taking up the market three to one in this race, but at the end of the day, they weren't really wrong because he ran extremely well, and he may have run the best race of anybody. Um, August Rodin got a great ride, a great trip, and he got it done. But I think the Euros overall under underperformed in this race, despite winning it. Is that really unfair? Um, I mean, I don't think it's unfair because I do think a lot could be made of, of the, the soft trip that Augusto Rodin had. Really? That's what I mean. He was a yeah. little lucky to win. Yeah, he was a little lucky to win. I mean, he was, you know, this was this was nowhere near the caliber of, of win. Um, I mean, even and not that he's much horse, but even a horse like Rebels Romance ran ran better in last year's turf than Augusto Rodin did in this year's turf. Yeah, and he ain't much horse. I mean, you know, Mustadef, who okay, he probably is better. He's a, he's definitely better at ten furlongs and twelve furlongs, but he also had a lot of times his last race. He stunk. I mean, it was awful. Yeah, he was bad. He he really was. He didn't, you know, he probably didn't get the most ideal ride or trip. He should have been more forward. But, I mean, he angled out widest of all, turning for home, and, and was kind of in the mix and just stopped. Yeah, I think it's so, not widest. But, um, yeah. you know, in King of Steel, I think if anything, he would say that maybe Frankie was too close to pace with him. Yeah, I, yeah. Pretty early. Shocked. I mean, he ran no harder early than up to the mark did, and up to the mark beat him well, by. Ran much better than him. Up to the mark ran great. I'm just saying, King of Steel maybe a little closer than you expected, but he underperformed. I mean, I don't think this was that strong. It wasn't as strong ultimately as I think at least I had thought he was. Maybe I was just wrong about this. Now, as far as up the mark, yes, I, I understand the thinking. It's a big purse. It's four million. The feeling is he wins here. It makes him a very possibly the favorite to be horse of the year. Um, I'm guessing he had a bonus for Horse of the Year in his stud deal. Um, having said that, and he ran very well, and I'm not saying they were wrong going in this race, because it's an argument he could easily have won the race. Having said that, I believe he would have won the mile, and I think if he had won the mile, he would have been Horse of the Year. And I'm going to tell you right now, I would vote for him for the Eclipse. I don't have a vote. I would vote for him the Eclipse as best turf horse in this country, but I'm not sure he's getting it over... over um, um, whatever the name is, Master of the Seas, or is that what's his, you know? I think, I think when all is said and done, he, he probably will get the Eclipse just by winning on Derby Day and the Manhattan and the... And the beating Chicago. the other horse in the Keeneland. He should get the Eclipse. He's he deserving Eclipse winner. Yeah, because he beat him head-to-head, and, yeah. and this, was a, this was a performance in defeat that, um, e- you know, even even the most unskilled race watcher can recognize how fortunate Augusta Yeah, but they don't vote that way. No, they don't. But I do think he'll win the eclipse. I, I think it. Sure. Might. I think it would be really unfortunate if he didn't. I think he should be the turf champion. He's I, absolutely deserving. Yeah, I do think he'll win. Um, another situation where uh, you did have a Japanese horse actually run well in here. Sharyar ran very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of uh, performed a little bit beyond expectation, getting up for third at twenty-five to one in uh, in their uh, one of their the better finishes for a Japanese horse on the weekend. The, well, that's not true. But beating the mighty Gold Phoenix. Uh, correct by a link, which I think kind of it just you know, I guess I thought with that kind of power coming from Europe, we would have seen a 112 buyer, you know. Yeah, I just feel as though this race didn't, it, it was a good field, it was a fun race, but I think it didn't live up to the billing. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think when all is said and done, these were Europeans that probably were a little overrated by everybody coming yeah, in. Including me. And, yeah, yeah, and by including me. So I, I have no 
no argument there. Uh, looks as so if maybe, dis- maybe that's maybe it was disappointing because we thought they were better than they, they are. Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, it looks at this point like Augusta Rodin is staying in training, and there was already some hinting that he will be pointed to the 2024 Breeders' Cup Classic, being a son of uh, of deep impact. I'm sure he's loved the dirt. Um, I, I think he's had no if he's been ineffective. But you have to love the fact that they ship Rhododendron, who's a very good race filly, um, to, to Japan to breed a deep impact. But, you know, that Colmar group, they're pretty sharp. They've been known to get it right a time or two. Yeah, they're pretty sharp. Third generation of uh, of so rhododendron and her dam and Augusta Rodan all ran in Southern California Breeders' Cups in yeah. the last fifteen years. It's it's uh, it is remarkable. Who's her name? Uh, halfway to Heaven. Who was oh one? yeah, I remember. Good <laughs> horse. Yeah. Yep, good horse. She ran second or third in the Philly and Mare Turf or the Turf. She ran up the track because she didn't get a great ride in the Philly and Mare Turf, but she was the favorite. Okay. And uh, she actually was. She ran into her rabbit early. Um, it was not one of Johnny Murtaugh's better rides. And I remember cursing quite a bit in the grandstand. No. Yeah, it's been it's been been quite a run. On to race nine, the Breeders' Cup Classic, which of course went as the uh, third to last Breeders' Cup race of the sequence due to some television situations on NBC. And, uh, you know, it was... was on the moon only. And if you were on the moon at a cable, you could watch the last two races. It was... It's, 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 to me... The fact that NBC doesn't broadcast two of the Breeders' Cup races is on on any kind of cable or any stations. I think it's unforgivable. But I'm I'm going to ask you for some some general Breeders' Cup things when we close it out. With obviously with us both being very careful about it, but um, so we'll touch on that a little bit. As far as the race itself, you know, I made the comment earlier in the week. I think I, I said on uh, either a podcast or or on a radio show or something that I felt like everybody I spoke to that was sharp was gravitating towards White Abario. And I know it had to do with some of his figures, some of what was going on from a training perspective, but he is a horse that I think as the field, as some of the attrition took place with some of the principals in the race, it felt as if he was really uh, looking like a horse that was gonna, gonna be very tough. And, you know, I think when you when you mapped out this race in terms of how it was gonna unfold, the scenario that played out was quite conceivable in that Arabian Knight would really commit himself to the lead. Saudi Crown would want to be latched onto him, and White Barrio would get that coveted outside stalking trip. What do you think of, of the effort? I mean, it was pretty damn good. Well, I mean, I thought there was a crazy conversation taking place that he was going to be the fourth choice in eight to one. And I understand that Archangelo didn't run. Did somebody else not run? I can't remember. A rocket ride from from at least early. Right. In the- well, the idea that those horses were projected by people to be shorter priced than them was just laughable. Um, in fact, the idea that Arabian Night was was three forty to one the second choice is laughable. And to be fair, he actually ran very well. He's done an amazing job in just what four or five career starts. He's a really good horse, but he shouldn't have been a short price in here. Um, and White Barrio, listen, White Barrio, anybody that takes an actual look at his PPs doesn't realize that he has improved dramatically in consistency and performance for Rick Dutrow is kidding themselves. I think that, you know, I'm happy for Rick. I don't, I don't know Rick at all, but I thought he got a raw deal um, to be suspended for 10 years. Um, and to come back and immediately turn over some, yeah, you got to get the property to be able to do it with. But what he did with White Barrio shows the skills he has as a trainer. And for the people that want to refer to him, you know, 
negatively. Well, they say the same things about those people probably say the same things about his prior trainer, whether it's fair or not. And so what was the big difference there? The difference was that Rick is a damn good trainer. So I think it, it's a good story as far as I'm concerned and did a great job with this horse. And I like to see the best horse win the biggest race. So, you know, though I'm not so sure when everything's said and done that the best horse ultimately won't be the horse who ran second because to do that off a layoff of six months is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, he ran, he ran incredibly well and I, we'll get to him in just a second. You know, I'll be a little, a little bold with the entire thing. Um, I mean, Rick Dutro made Safi Joseph look like an idiot with this horse. I mean, there's just, to me, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he, this is a horse that hinted at having ability early in his three-year-old season. No consistency. No consistency. And the first time he came off of Lasix in the Haskell, he finished last and he never performed at the same level at all until he got back on Lasix. This is a recurring problem with Safi Joseph Jr. His Lasix off numbers are horrendous. And it's very clear that he just does not really know what to do with a particularly good horse. And you can win all the, the allowance races and, and listed stakes and even some graded stakes in South Florida or anywhere else, but it does not mean that you know how to unlock the capabilities of a top-tier horse. And Rick Dutro did that. And this yeah. horse ran now three straight races that were not just marginally better than anything he had ever run before. They were significantly better. It obviously had to do with the way he was training him, with some of what he did along the way. But, I mean, even his Met, and, and I, I liked him in the Whitney based you, on... You and David were right about his Met. I didn't appreciate it when you said it. You were right. And, and, and as it played out, you know, he is, is clearly a horse that did have the ability to get a mile and a quarter. He did it in this race, stalking a very strong pace and staying on very gamely. Um, he ended up being a perfect fit for Irad. Irad wants to chase outside. It's his comfort zone as well. And and it was nice to see that that yeah, a trainer who had really been unfairly vilified and 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 excessively punished for a long period of time was able to get some redemption. So I, I thought that 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 was actually a better story than it will get a lot of credit for. And you know, given his his awfully nondescript pedigree, I think there's a pretty decent chance we have him around as a five year old. There's an awful lot of money out there to be made on the racetrack that really probably exceeds the money they get for him if he went to the breeding shed. I, think that's very I, saw, I saw some whispers already that he could potentially run in a race like the Dubai World Cup. He's going to both races over there, Sally. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd think they'd up. He'd probably be at his absolute best at a one-turn mile and an eighth, the way he, he yeah, runs. I agree, I agree. Track. So, yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance we'll see him again. And, oh. and credit to Rick Dutcher. The other thing he did that I think is just brilliant, we've seen Steve Asmussen have, be very effective with this in the past. He brought this horse to Santa Anita six weeks ago. And I think getting acclimated out there, I know he had some hiccups along the way in his training, but when the chips were down, he was ready to roll, and uh, and he did just that. You mentioned Derma Sotagake, who was a horse that was the, the ultimate sort of wise guy horse in the Kentucky Derby, went off 7-1. to one. Didn't run badly in there, but just didn't really put forth much of an effort. This horse is a very serious four-year-old next year, if that's what we're going to get out of him. I agree. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I told Andy Byer he's off the hook for picking for betting him in the Derby. Um, no, I think he ran terrific. It's interesting how much the pace held together, um, considering how quick it was. Maybe that's a comment on the other horses in here. Um, I'll tell you the horse that I'd be interested in watching again. What the hell was Bright Future doing back towards last? 
That's a great question. No, he just made a, you know, you can call it a bit of a clunk up move, but, you know, he ran a little bit at the end. And I know the race was falling apart behind him. I'm not saying he ran great in there, but, I mean, what was he doing back in? I mean, he, Zandon was supposed to be back in 12th. I thought that, not, I'm not excusing, Zandon's just not good enough. I was surprised how much Frankie rode Zandon out of the gate because he's a horse that clearly wants to lag back and make a big run like he did in the Woodward. And I'm not, he wouldn't have, he's just not good enough. But I was surprised he ran him, he was close as he was. And I also don't understand why Bright Future was as far back as he was. Yeah, I, I agree completely. In fact, I thought, I actually thought there was a period of time going into the turn where Bright Future was going to be eased. He had fallen back so Yeah, no, I agree. I heard him back there and I thought, oh, he's just, he's done. When I was watching a replay and, and I saw him dart to the inside in, uh, in mid-stretch and I thought, well, that can't possibly be Bright Future. I thought it was dreamlike. I realized it was him. You know, I, I know Bright Future has a, he's a Curlin, but I really hope they they run him next year because- well, if I, he, I can't imagine Bright's going to retire every horse he has, right? Well, he did no, play- I, I don't think that Bright Future is getting a bunch of stud deals off his Jockey Club Gold Cup win. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, he's behind dreamlike. How could he possibly be behind Dreamlike? I have no idea. I thought he'd be about fifth in this race. I thought he'd be relatively close. I knew they were going to go a lot faster than he was accustomed to going early. But, I mean, it felt like if he had any potential chance of winning this, it would be because he came from a mid-pack position. Yeah, he finished a half-life behind Ushba Tesoro. Right, right. No, who's a, who's obviously a dead last. Of course, so- yeah. No, I, I think Bright Future is kind of a horse coming out of here. Ooh, he has a bright future. I, I just think he's a horse that, you know, listen, I, hopefully it'll be a stronger division, older horse division next year because, you know, it looks like it'll be better in the turf division overall or deeper, and hopefully we'll get some of the dirt because I think this Breeders' Cup in some ways was indicative of the kind of year we had. It was a fun, reasonable weekend of racing, but it wasn't a deep, you know, weekend of great performances there were some nice performances some good horses winning but well i mean we all at the end of the 22 breeders cup we all had the sort of oh shit moment realizing that there weren't yeah. any any good horses coming back yeah. i mean table was the only seemingly good older horse coming back that we knew um was going to be back and i mean there was hope obviously that was hard two months of the season right yeah i mean there was hope that some of them would be back but they ended up not coming back so it does feel like if some of these horses that maybe either blossomed towards the end of the year very it's very clearly been said already arabian night will be back i would assume that you know their first goal with him will be the saudi cup given the connections um, and he'll look for a little redemption for for his stablemate who was ineffective there this year. And, and, and I mean, no doubt, Arabian Knight, wherever he shows up next year, he's going to bring forth a great deal of speed. And, I mean, he's going to be dangerous. He's a horse who's probably still on the improve as well. He got 127 time from U.S. numbers, so it's not like he ran. Yeah, no, he ran well in here. I, I think, right, uh, he ran better than I expected. He was over bet. He ran pretty well. Um, his performance was somewhere between what people thought he was and what I thought he was. Yeah, exactly. He had a not as good as they thought he was. Higher speed figure of 103. Yeah, so, a very credible performance. Yeah, he's still definitely moving forward. I would assume that after a Dubai um, trip that, that we could potentially see a horse like Derma Sotogake come back over here as well. Ushba Tesoro is staying in training as well for a Dubai World Cup defense. So we can actually see him back in, in America as well. Um, Saudi Crown is supposedly staying in training. He probably wants to go shorter. But um, it looks as if we'll have some some pretty solid horses. Yeah, coming. yeah. Oh, let's hope. Quite a bit. And no balls wins wins from middle of the pack. How about that? I did. I, I don't know who it was, but somebody tweeted the other day and said, "Europeans name horses like Augusta Rodin, 
because their his dam is rhododendron and Americans name horses no balls because they have no testicles. And it was just a funny, like a funny thing. I, I laughed. Uh, I'm the only person that calls him no balls. I refuse to not call him no balls. It's his name. Well, if the connections are willing to run at Sam Houston, I have the balls to call him no balls. Well, That's all I'll say. They're probably not thinking of Sam Houston, but I really think that you should get employee of the of the week at least for throwing that out there. I'm sure. I'm sure they're listening in and, and are uh, going to be willing to do I it. I got him in Detroit. Do I get any credit for that? You know what I'm most happy about in here? Caravel running tenth. <laughs> yeah. I feel I, like I'm off the hook for, for saying she had no shot to win the uh, Jiper. I'm not, but I feel like I am. That's how pathetic I am. Yeah, she, well, I she mean. She got good. She was better than I thought, but she's also worse. She got very good trips in situations. She, uh, she got on a heater of good trips. And, uh, yeah, I, I as they were, as they were replaying the Jiper, I said to everybody sitting at my table, this is the last meaningful race she'll yeah. win. She tailed off. I mean, she did. She, she yeah. tailed off. It's going to be hard to sustain that level. But she also was a, she was the odd sprint horse that was also getting a lot of really favorable trips yeah. that went beyond her having speed. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it was, it was time for, for things to start to go the other direction. As far as this race goes, uh, you know, you look at the, I'm looking at the time for me West chart as we talk and I'll tell you what this live in the dream horse. I mean, to he's talk, fast. <laughs> he is really fast. Two races that he did in America and go home with two fourth place finishes. It's, and this is the, this is the best horse that has no in the money finishes in this country that we've seen this year. He told with Jasper Crone, who finished dead last. It's not a bad horse. No, not at all. I mean, and he buried him. Yeah, he, he, he's he's pretty cool. He's got to be one of the fastest Europeans. He and uh, Big Evs, well, he blew Big Evs on the track in the in the um, Gunthorpe. He just uh, ran him from the gate. Big Evs fast out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, pace call of the top three finishers in this race, they were 6th, 9th, and 10th, respectively. The 1-2 finishers, No Balls and Big Invasion, both ended up enjoying very good trips up the inside, um, scraping the paint really the whole way. Big Invasion ran very well, um, a little bit better than I expected, but he was was sent off a... I thought like a relatively high 12 to one. I I didn't think... I didn't like him, so I can't... You know, people are criticizing Joel because... Joel's brought some of the criticism on himself this year as much as I like him with some sort of boobish rides throughout the year. I still think he's a great rider. I have no idea why he's criticizing me here. He had to give this kind of ride to have a chance to win. So, yes, he didn't get an absolute dream run up the rail. But are you supposed to? He did so much right to get there that I think anybody knocking him is missing the point. He deserves some criticism for some rides this year. This, to me, isn't one of them. If you're criticizing him for this ride, then you're going to criticize him for every ride. So, right. I mean, you know, this was as good a ride as you could yes. put on the horse in this scenario. Um, I mean, and the other thing is that it seems like people misunderstand sometimes. They become blinded with certain riders that when you're betting a horse with big invasion style at five eights on the turf at Santa Anita, you're lucky. You're going to get a clean trip. You know, you're, you're fooling yourself. So, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was a very good ride. It was just a slightly better trip. For Gerardo Corrales and no balls, uh, Aesop's fables exploded down the center of the turf course. Looked for a second like he was going to get there. He couldn't switch leads, and that probably kept him from doing so. But he was a good third at ten to one, and it keyed a, uh, a, a, tr- a trifecta of, of horses that were double digit odds. Um, no balls actually was one of two for Larry Ravelli that could have run his stablemate one time or was scratched. Uh, but he, you know, he was there. He was in the right place at the right time. He did what he had to do. Yeah, he's a cool horse. He had a good year. 
he sort of came out of nowhere, so tip my hat to him. It's a ridiculous race to, for to be a Breeders' Cup race, but it was still a fun race. Yeah, it's also it was ridiculous to sit there and watch the Hillside Turf Course and watch them going. Well, through. that's a real shame, but I'm not getting into that conversation. Yeah. The final race of the Breeders' Cup for 2023 was the Breeders' Cup Sprint, where Elite Power was bidding for a second straight win uh, after taking it at Keeneland last year as, uh, I believe, the second choice, second or third choice, third choice that day. And he was third the eighth. Choice? Okay. Who was second choice? Uh, the Philly for Wesley Ward. Jesus. The one that got loot. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I think I'm, I, I could verify, but I'm. I'm oh no, you're, you're definitely right. Look, I've, I've never liked to leave power once. I don't think I've ever picked him. So I'm glad he's retiring, so I can stop embarrassing myself at races that he's in. I beat him once with a six to five shot. Um, listen, I bet Speedboat Beach. I was wrong. He wasn't good enough. Was wrong about elite power again. He got the best buyer figure by far all week at a one eleven. Um, he ran extremely well in doing it. He made a big middle move in the quarter of the half. He put himself in position. He ran him down. He's a cool horse. He shows up every time. And Belmont had a great, great weekend, a great year. And um, I think he's deservedly probably going to finish second to, to Chad Brown and for, for the Eclipse, don't you think? Yeah, I think I, I do. I think uh, there's going to be some Brad Cox love because Brad won more grade ones than Chad this year. But You did? Okay. Um, I actually think there's a better case to be made. To I'll tell you this much. If I was voting, I'd be more likely to vote for Bill Ma to win it than Brad Cox. That's just just my take. You know, I think Brad won a lot of meaningful races and obviously is a tremendous trainer. Um, is Elite Power a Hall of Famer? No. Well, I, I'm not getting that conversation because I don't think anybody belongs in the Hall of Fame. So. That's fair. He's better than I ever gave him credit for. I'll yep. say that much. Yep. I never really warmed up to him enough. I don't lament it at this point, but um, he really was a horse who delivered on multiple occasions. And so... Um, he ended up being Kamari, by the way, was the horse's name I was trying he to He ran the races he had to run to win, and he always did it. You know, he had one blemish this year. It was a day where he ended up stuck on the inside. And, very well. You know, slow race, yeah, still ran extremely well. So, yeah, well. He's an easy horse to like. Would, would have ended his career on a 10-race winning streak, if not for that forego. And, of course, the horse who beat him that day, Gunite, finished second. Gunite was probably a horse that was just unfortunate to be born in the year that he was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a really good horse. It just wasn't as good as Elite Power. I guess my problem is that I remember the days of fast, fast sprinters, and these horses have not run those kind of numbers. But that doesn't mean he's not a good horse. Well, those days are gone. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's um, the, the he's not as good as Midnight Loot. Midnight Loot, no, definitely not. Or Groovy, or Phone Trick. No, I mean, and look, you know, you you've been in racing a lot longer than I have, but you know, the Breeders' Cups that I remember. Um, go all the way back to horses like Mia Farah, who was insanely fast early. And, you know, the first first Breeders' Cup sprint that I remember, I mean, I remember Sheikh Al-Badu winning, not that he was a fast horse, but, I mean, I remember, you know, you had marquee sprinters from the West Coast like Cardmania and, um, and I mean, other extremely fast horses that ran in the sprint year in and year out. I remember Re-Ray's wiring in 1998 and... and Mr. And Lita Justice and Kona Gold and yeah. Artax. I mean, Artax was really yeah, Artax. Artax. here, but he was Incredibly a really fast horse. You know, yeah. I mean, how much better this race they got rid of the mile and Cody's wish had been in here. I totally agree. And in fact, you know, we've, we've pretty much wrapped up the racing portion of this conversation. And I do think you and I can have a, a, a constructive thought at least about this Breeders' Cup had 
obviously the same 14 races that the last however many Breeders' Cups have had. It also had a different look being on the West Coast, being that the Classic was the third to last race. The, the handle was down. And, you know, it's obviously not something you want to see with a marquee, quote-unquote, championship event. The Breeders' Cup feels like it needs a little bit of an overhaul. To okay, me. I'm going to say a couple of things. First of all, everybody's talking about the handle being down. How many horses started last year versus how many started this year? It's a little fewer this year. Okay, okay. So, I, I mean, how much a little? You know, I mean, I'm just I'm just curious. That's all. I'm not saying it was a lot. I think there were eight fewer on Saturday versus last year. Well, that's a, that's that's almost that's one a race. That's yeah. a reasonable amount, you know. I mean, that probably brings it down four percent, doesn't it? Probably. Um, yeah. I don't think it was that compelling. Now, listen. To be fair, it's not the Breeders' Cup's fault that it isn't a talent-laden year at the top level. That's not the Breeders' Cup's fault. I think there's two things to discuss. If you're, let's say you or I are the president of the Breeders' Cup. We're trying to make money, you know, um, the, the, all the championship BS and all that stuff aside, they're trying to make money. So the fact that they run more races and they, they, they get more handle, even if they're down from last year, doesn't mean that they're doing the wrong thing. I just have a problem with them calling it a championship event and running two-year-old turf races and running, you know, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, which I hate and will always hate because it hurts the classic and it hurts the sprint. So I would love to see them get rid of the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. And even when you talk about, like, what were some of the big best performances in it? Well, okay, one of them for sure was Horse the Raj Road that I loved. The what? Caleb. No, 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 no. The horse to beat Uncle Mo in the King's Bishop. Caleb's Posse. Caleb's Posse. I always thought you said Tail of Akati. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Okay. You're telling me he couldn't have run the Breeders' Cup sprint that year? Of course he, he could. Ran a heck of a race at seven. Ran a heck of a race in the Amsterdam earlier that year. So this is a race that has hurt the sprint and it's hurt the classic. It's not a championship race. It's doing nothing but bringing handle the event. Now, if I'm running the Breeders' Cup, I'm trying to provide handle, but it is a race that is absolutely detracted from the Breeders' Cup as a, quote, championship event. It has not brought anything to the table other than handle, and it has taken away from two very important races. I agree. I mean, one of the other one of the other marquee winners of this race in the last five years was City of Light, who not only had beaten that year's eventual Breeders' Cup right. last winner earlier in the year, but he turned around and beat him like a few months later in the Pegasus. So right. he's a horse who easily could have been in the Breeders' Cup class. 100%. There have been great actions in that race, you know? And people yeah. have golden sense winning it twice. Oh, he couldn't have won it six furlongs? Of course. And the people who say no, I give you precisionist. I give you gulch. Yep. All horses that were grade one horses at nine furlongs. So totally it's a prophecy to say this. I have a problem with it as a two-turn race as well. There is no yep. two-turn, one-mile division in this country. It does not nope. exist. So without Churchill and without Belmont, it's going to be around two turns. I, I think the race sucks as a Breeders' Cup race. I agree. I, I think Cody's wish is great, but imagine Cody's wish ran the sprint. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also not wild about a seven furlong Philly and Mare sprint because a lot of times in the past, yeah. this is not as big an issue as the dirt mile, but a lot of times in the past, marquee Phillies and Mares belonged in the sprint. And they ran very well in there on a number of occasions. They were victorious on a number of occasions as well. So, yeah, I think it's uh, there's an argument. 
Yeah, and I mean, they've at least created a championship division by running that race, but I don't disagree. Um, I can respect that race a little bit more. Um, I can't. The Breeders' Cup mile. It's, it's hurt the Breeders' Cup. It has hurt the Breeders' Cup for sure. And I mean, unfortunately, you know, and this is just my my selfish perspective, um, next year's event is going to be run at Del Mar, and I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of this event being at Del Mar. So it's just my... My take on it, I don't, I don't necessarily love the. Oh, well, that's because you have an East Coast bias, living in Texas. Well, apparently, I yeah, I live in Texas, but and apparently, I'm biased towards the part of the country that all the good horses ran in this year. <laughs> well, I don't want to beat up on California that they're struggling, and I'm a fan of California racing, and um, it's not good for the game for California racing to struggle. So I no, I, I know. I, 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 California racing. We'd be proud of our New York contingency, but I take no solace in the, the West Coast horses running poorly. No, I totally agree. I handicap California racing almost every single day, and I and I I enjoy it, and um, and I, I want to see them do well also. And I, I think they'll you know they'll give a better account of themselves next year. It's just a you know it's a year to year thing, but obviously we racing desperately needs a strong California. There's no, I, I agree, and so, you know I think Santa Anita, you know. Sandy is one of the great racetracks in the world, and I, I, I shudder to think of it not doing well. No, I totally agree, and it was great to be back out there. I hadn't been in hadn't been in five years, so and how so- magical is? I mean, I, when I finally got back there, and I think uh, thirteen, you know, just walking back in, I hadn't been there since. Believe it or not, I haven't been there since the '93 Breeders' Cup, and just walking in again and being like, you know, I just forgotten. I hadn't forgotten, but even then, knowing. I mean, just, I always remember my first trips when I went in 86. It was so smoggy the first day we couldn't see the mountains. So we went the second day on Breeders' Cup Day. And it was a beautiful day. It was overwhelming. It's just an incredible place. I went, my first trip there was 93. My dad and I flew there and we went to Santa Anita on Saturday. We went to the Super Bowl on Sunday. And I remember nice. it was yesterday. It was it was an incredible place. And so it was, it was nostalgic for me to be back there 30 years later. Um, seeing another Breeders' Cup. I think this is my fourth Breeders' Cup there. Um, and it's a great venue. The other thing that's remarkable about Santa Anita is that regardless of what they've done, and they've done some incredible work to upgrade the facility in terms of luxury and premium seating, but you walk in there and you feel like you're at a racetrack. And that's something that is lost on some of the yeah. some of your tracks in this country that have upgraded. And and I mean, really, to me, when, you, when you're talking about that particular topic, you're talking about Saratoga and Santa Anita. Those are the two places that you still feel like you're at the track, regardless of, you know, of what's gone on there. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, there's a reason why the Breeders' Cup has been there 11 times. It's a phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, you go there, you think, now I understand why they're there all the time. It's not fair to East Coast Connections, you know, we're going to rebuild Belmont and we need to get it back for East Coast Connections, for East Coast racing fans. You know, we need to do that. But I understand Santa Anita is a hell of a place to be. I also think it's fun that Churchill's a good place for it, too. The I think um, that much. I mean, look, I, you know, selfishly, I'd like to see them get back to John Gaines's idea that there are other places that could host it too. I mean, I, I stood in Keeneland last year and looked at all the temporary seating that was up and thought to myself, you know, there's probably five more tracks that could do this if you're going to put in that kind of temporary seating. So, you know, I do think there are opportunities out there for 
for some other tracks in different markets that can handle it. Um, I'm not talking about Sam Houston. I'm talking about places like fairgrounds that are in major cities where you could do that. One of the crimes is what they did to Gulfstream because well, I don't know if you mentioned those Breeders' Cups. They were great Breeders' Cups. And, you know, I mean, what they did down there is a travesty as far as I'm concerned. They ruined one of the great race places left in the country. They didn't, I understand rebuilding it, but they didn't have to do what they did. And as a result, they can't have the Breeders' Cup there. And that's too bad because those were great fun weekends. Those were also special because they didn't run 12 months a year. They opened for this special three-day racing weekend and it was, you know, it was really great going there. And of course that's just gone and that's not the Breeders' Cup's fault. Yeah, no, unfortunately that, that is true. But um, yeah, well that about does it for us. We've certainly taken you through the weekend with hopefully some opinions that you uh, found insightful, some that I you may, might be able to use for the future, some that you won't, and that's fine. Um, but that's uh, that's about a wrap for us. Andy, anything else from uh, from Breeders' Cup weekend? I know you're probably deeply entrenched in Royal Aqueduct, which continues on Thursday. I'm very excited to be back at Aqueduct after being off last week, and I appreciate talking about the races with you. And, uh, you know, I'm happy with a lot of the winners, and I thought that, you know, Good. I thought the right horses won most of the races. How good they are in the pantheon of history, probably not going to be that memorable, but still, we did see some nice performances. So last thing, your horse of the year vote goes to Cody's Wish? I don't have an opinion right now. No, I, I don't. I would probably give it to White Abario in this flawed year, but I don't really have a big opinion on it, at least now. Yeah, I wish he had one more win, but I'd still give it to White Abario, too. Yeah. I think in the most meaningful race. I think that Cody's Wish is going to get it. I don't believe in sentimental choices. Um, but it's hard to overly argue against him. So there are more sentimental choices, like some horse that put all its eggs, I forget the horse's name, in in, in one basket of the Breeders' Cup Classic, lost it, and still managed to somehow be horse of the year. I can't remember some <laughs> unmemorable horse a bunch of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed. I'm sure when the Eclipse Awards are announced, you'll be watching basketball, and I'll probably be doing something that doesn't involve watching the Eclipse Awards. So that's... Unless I'm there, which is unlikely, I won't be watching. Agreed. That's going to do it for us. Hopefully you've been able to sit through this and gotten a few laughs and a little bit of insight. I will certainly have Andy back on very soon to talk about something that might even be more meaningful uh, when all is said and done. There's a decent enough chance of that. So for Andy Serling, Nick Tamaro here, thanks again for listening in. Make sure you rate, like, subscribe. If you're an In The Money Plus subscriber, hopefully you were satisfied with our Breeders' Cup coverage and please continue to re-up your subscription as we'll have plenty of content throughout the winter. Until next time, best of luck. 